We are here in uh, week four already. Goodness gracious. Now, in this, in this series, we're kind of tackling the Godisms, okay? The Godisms, the Godisms are basically these little kind of silly uh, lines we say about God just kind of randomly. We don't really know where they come from, but we just kind of spit them out about God. And the reason that we're, we're, we're tackling these isms is because inside these isms is the way that we really think about God. It's important for us to understand the way we think about God because the way we think about God determines the way we act towards God, right? So the way you think determines the way you... There we go. Man, early service, pick it up. Come on now, if you need coffee. Now remember, okay, so it's important. It seems silly, but these are the ways that we actually think about God. So when something terrible happens and, you know, we walk into this, to this room where someone has lost someone, we say, well, everything happens for a reason. We have no clue why we just said that. But there's something that we've been told that that's the way God does it. And so we think we're helping, but, at, but as we've kind of discovered, most of these isms have some really harmful ideas about God. So we have to kind of we have to open these, 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 these isms up and make sure these things are saying the right things about God. Because if we had the wrong idea of who God is, if I think that God is the one who gave me cancer, there's something wrong with this image. Because, see, the one thing we understand from the Scriptures is that the ultimate picture of who God is is Jesus. We see this in Hebrews. He is the exact representation of His being. So if God looks like anything, God looks like Jesus, right? And this is very important for us to understand. So as we begin to open up these isms, there's all sorts of fun things. Now, if you guys remember, we had over 100 isms that were turned in. And then from the 100 isms, we, uh, we voted. I wanted to see, you know, uh, which ones you guys really want us uh, to tackle. So this one was not one of the top ones you wanted to hear, but I don't care. We're going to do it anyway. This is the one I've been wanting to get to the entire time. Are you guys ready? The Bible clearly says dot, dot, dot. Okay. Now, we're Christians. We're followers of Jesus. We're honest people. Who said it? The Bible clearly says. It clearly says right here in the Bible that we got honest people in the front rows. Who said it? Hands up. Man, I think you guys are lying. Bunch of liars. I know you said it. I've heard you say it to me. Well, Pastor Devin, I don't know about that sermon because right here in the Bible it says this. Clearly says this. Ooh, Pastor Larry, it clearly says thou shalt not lie. Boy, man, Pastor Larry's ready to go today. <laughs> thou shalt not lie. We've got a bunch of liars in the house. Okay. So the Bible clearly says, now what is, oh my goodness, what's going on inside the statement? All right, let's be fair. What are we really trying to say in this? So what's the good intention? Like, why are we trying to say, oh, the Bible clearly says, what are we trying to say in this? Here's what I think we're trying to say. We're trying to say this. We're trying to say, I'm right and you're wrong. Okay, think about when you've said it or when you've heard someone say it to you. What's normally happening? An argument. Okay, so it's either you're arguing over something in the Bible or even better, you're convincing someone they're a sinner. Have you guys heard that one? It clearly says that anyone who, who lusts after a woman in their heart has committed adultery with her. See, you are an adulterer. Have you guys heard that before? 
Yes, amen, you have. Okay, and, w- and this is all built off of this kind of simple idea. Hey, the Bible's simple. All you got to do is just read it right there. It's just like reading to your two-year-old, okay? The Bible says right there, see? Sin, thou shalt not lie. So when we say this, almost every time I've ever heard someone say the Bible clearly says, it's always used as this, I'm right and you're wrong. Now, what is it really saying? So what's beneath the surface of this ism, okay? I know we're using it, if you would, you know, in an argument, but what are we actually saying about God? Here's what I think we're actually saying about God. We're actually saying a book, the Bible, a book that spans thousands of years, multiple people groups, languages, genres, generations, and authors is best understood by reading it like a Hallmark card. Let it sink in just for a second. When we say the Bible clearly says, it says, hey, I got this card for 99 cents, and it says, I love you. Happy birthday. It's that simple. All you got to do is just read it, and it's right there. Who cares if this thing has gone through, has been translated through all these languages? Who cares if this book comes from over 6,000 years of history? Who cares if there's, <laughs> there's over 60 authors? Who cares about that? It's really simple. All you got to do is just read it just like the Hallmark card. See, the Bible clearly says, thou shalt not lie, right there. And the Bible also says that women, when you guys are having your period, you cannot be inside the city limits. You have to go outside and get clean first. Then you can come back. Men, it says that something's going to be happen to you with, with stones when you're very young. Flintstones. <laughs> no hospitals involved, okay, guys? You're breaking the Bible. That's a sin. Fun yet? No, we're just getting started. If we read the Bible this way, it causes all sorts of issues for us. But again, understand this. When we assume the Bible is this simplistic, this kind of a, a plain and just kind of straightforward we are assuming that we can read the same way that we read the Hallmark card, the same way that whenever I sit down with my, with my four-year-old, my six-year-old, that I can read the same way I do the books that I read to them. There's no work needed. Now, when you guys were in high school, what kind of books did you guys have to read? How about this? Uh, who had to read The Scarlet Letter? Okay. When you read that story, is it just about Hester Prim and her experiences? Is... Hawthorne actually trying to say something else about the culture and society going on around Hester, right? There's something wrong here that the woman is the victim, correct? There's something wrong here that she gets punished, but the man doesn't get punished, right? Okay, there's more than reading it at face value. But yet, we think that the Scarlet Letter is a much more complex, sophisticated book than the sacred text that our faith is built on. All you got to do is read. See, it said right here that, you know, Hester, she had to wear the letter. There you go. That's what's happening in the story. Thou shalt not lie. Oh, boy. And then, of course, you go to college and you get handed uh, Hemingway. Who had to read Hemingway? Everyone's like, no. No. Yeah. Anyways, we'll, we'll, we'll just kind of leave it at that. As you continue to realize that, the, that there, are, there are pieces of literature 
They get more and more complex, and you have to read them in different ways to really get the understanding. What you don't know is this. You've been told your entire life the Bible is so simple. All you need to do is from your youngest age, we're going to hand you a copy of the Bible, and you're going to go home and read it, and you're going to understand it. What you don't understand is this. The Bible is the most complex piece of literature in human history, period. That's not just a Christian belief, okay? This is, this is a scholarship approach. It is the most sophisticated, the most faceted book. There's so much going on in this book. It takes so much to understand it and to study it. I was, I was talking to someone the, the other day. Uh, she has a Ph.D., in education. And she asked me, she said, so, so what do you have to learn to be able to understand the Bible? And I said, well, in my class, we take classes on uh, history. We take classes on theology. We take classes on psychology, sociology, um, linguistics, and cultural context. And I started to go through all the things, and she goes, you have to do all those classes. Why? Because it's in the Bible. All of it's in the Bible. It is a beautiful, complex, multi-layered book. Now, here's why this is important. Because if I'm telling you that the Bible is as simple as the Hallmark card, I'm also telling you that this simple book explains to you everything that you need to know just by reading it page by page of my simple, small God. If my God is big and deep and complex and multifaceted and interesting and, you know, a God, he's other than, he's hard to understand, he's mysterious. If I have a real God, I think my book's going to have to be a little bit bigger to even get close to capturing what God is like. Does that make any sense? It's got to be more than that. I can't just be able to just, oh, thou shalt not lie. I got it. We're good. Let's all go home. I'm sorry, I'm supposed to be using this over here. This is my soapbox. So like whenever I get really upset about something, I'm going to step up on this. Amen? <laughs> I will not fall. I will not fall, Steve, I promise. All right. So now all this kind of stuff, okay? Where does this come from? What's interesting about this Sunday, this Sunday marks the 500-year celebration from the Reformation, the day that Martin Luther, he took his thesis and he put it, he, he nailed it to the wall of this Catholic church. And from that day forward, we have the thing that we call Protestantism. You are all Protestants. If you're not Catholic, if you're not Eastern Orthodox, you are Protestant. That would be all of us, okay? And a big major push of Luther's was to say, we don't have to have clergy we don't have to have them to approach God. We can approach God without them. Should you fire me right now? I don't even need that, that loser. What is he even doing here? Now, Martin Luther was absolutely right on so many ways. He even argued this. He said the Catholic Church was wrong on trying to keep the Scriptures from people. They actually used, what they used to do, they actually used to make sure that it was kept in Latin so that this old language that no one knew anymore, so that they, they wouldn't be able to understand it. And then even then, they understood if we keep it written, all these stupid people who haven't been taught to read can't read the Bible. Awesome. So we control the text. 
We can tell you whatever it is that you need to know about God. Now, the good thing about Luther was he pushed back and said, no, we deserve to have access to the Scriptures. We deserve to read the Bible on our own. Sound good? Absolutely. Now, there's only one bad thing that came with that. We said, we're going to give our children brand new cars with, a, with 800 horsepower, but we're not going to teach them how to drive. When you turn 16, here's the keys. Get in that sucker. Have a great time. Hurt yourself and everyone around you. The Bible says that you're a sinner. Yeah, you just ran someone off the road with your brand new car. We as Christians absolutely must understand the value and the importance of us having the ability to come to God in the Scriptures without clergy, without pastors, the theologians, or teachers. But the one thing we have to understand is this. Every one of us has to put in the time to learn how to drive the car. Does it make sense? There's all sorts of benefits, but I'm telling you this. If you give your 16-year-old a car without teaching them to drive, it's not just dangerous for you. It's dangerous for everybody else on the road. Most pastors are 16-year-olds who've never been taught to drive a car. Being honest. And I was one too. And I have tried to burn all my old sermons because I taught half these isms, I promise you. So here's the thing. Okay, so why can't we say this? What, what makes the Bible so complex? Okay, why is it so, so layered? So the first thing about this, why we can't say the Bible uh, clearly says is this. First of all, there's a lot going on. Okay, what's going on in the Bible, there's all sorts of history. Okay, so the Old Testament spans all of these years of history of these people, all these different stories, all these different experiences and accounts, all these different, uh, these authors. It goes from cultures of the Jews, cultures to Mesopotamia, to Egypt, to Babylon, to, to Assyria. It, it goes into Greece and to Rome. There's so much happening in the Scriptures. And as the Bible goes from place to place, the, the context changes. The meanings of things change. Um, take this, for example. If I were to write a letter, okay, we're going to write this Hallmark card to my children. And I'll say, kids, you won't ever know what it was like the day that we saw the towers go down. When they read that in 10 years, if they hadn't been taught about what happened on 9-11 with the World Trade Center, when they read towers, they're going to think tall buildings. They're not going to understand that when I say towers, I mean a specific event in history. That when this happened, everyone who was alive was forever changed. Who was old enough to see the towers go down on TV? You're watching. You will never forget it. Ever. When anyone says towers, they don't have to say the World Trade Center towers. They don't even have to say the date. When they say towers, you automatically think about that experience that forever changed you. But if I just put it on paper, and if I don't explain anything else, and I hand it to my kids in 10 years, and they haven't been taught about this, when they read it, they're going to be reading about two tall buildings. When Jesus is talking about this fig tree, and he's talking about how he's weeping and how upset he is and how it's bringing him to pain that this fig tree was not able to bear fruit and how now it's going to have to suffer because of this, the inability to bear fruit, we go, why is he so angry at the poor fig tree? 
Have you guys ever thought that? This is really harsh. I mean, like for Jesus, he's about to die, you know, he's about to offer himself and loving and he's sacrificial. This guy's really angry at this poor little tree. What did the tree do to him, right? He must have been really hungry. The tree was a symbol for Israel, an ancient symbol of, of the, his people who he had been pursuing and loving and going after for ages. But we just think towers. Oh, it's two tall buildings. Oh, it's just a tree with fruit on it. Or it didn't have fruit. Now, oh man, whew, he's really mean to trees. Peter would not like this verse at all. Anyway. Um, and so we have history that goes into things. We have the, uh, the, the culture, we have context, we have ling- uh, linguistics, meaning words. It's so hard for us to transfer the meaning of things. Um, who has tried to learn Spanish? Tried to learn a foreign language at all? Have you noticed how weird things get when you take a very simple sentence from one language to another? There's all sorts of oddities that change because like, certain languages focus on certain things. If there's certain languages that are very emotional. They have lots of words uh, for emotions. There's other languages that are very action-oriented. They have all sorts of different words about actions. There's some languages that are focused on, on logic and things. So when you try to say uh, some kind of complex emotional expression, you put it into a certain language, it doesn't have words for those emotions. See, in Greek, they have all these different words for love. In English, we have what? Love. Do you see everything going on here in the Scriptures? And, of course, we all know that the Bible was written in English. Amen? All English. And so we see all the things that are going on here. Now, it's also layered. It's not only complex, it's layered, meaning there's different levels of meaning to it. Right? So we talked about the scarlet letter. We talked about how, you know, the, the, the first level of meaning is the story. Hey, this is happening. We are following uh, this plot. We're seeing where it goes. We're seeing what's happening to the characters. But we also know that there's also this secondary meaning that's under the surface. We understand that he's showing us something wrong with culture, this injustice, this thing that we need to be aware of to not let it happen in our lives. We need to let the ugliness of the story affect us so that we begin to carry that reality into our lives. So there's a different layer. We'll see in scriptures, there's all sorts of layers of meaning happening. So with the Bible, the first layer is pretty simple. What did it mean to them? What how did the first person who was receiving this, what did it mean to them? When the prophets said, um, when the prophets were prophesying from God, and he said, uh, uh, oh no. What's one from Jeremiah about the good plans to prosper and to bless you? What is that? Just say it. For no other plans I have you to bless you. What, what is it? For good and not for evil. Amen. Okay. Now, how many of you have used that or like, uh, like when you graduated or you got married, it was like on a card? Yeah? Like, uh, n- n- no? Has anyone prayed that over you? Okay. Okay. So, so what was this really about? What is this verse really about? This is Jeremiah. He's speaking to the people of God who have been told by God that they're going to be freed and they're going to have this great land and God's going to protect them and love them and things will be awesome. But what happened to them? Everything, the opposite happened. So they've been captured. They've been in prison. They're slaves. They're away from their homeland. They're in a foreign land. They have nothing. They have no one. They're alone. 
And now the prophet's coming and saying, I know all this has happened, but I have plans to prosper you. My intentions are good for you. Are you seeing how important it is for us to understand what it meant to them? Some weird things happen the moment we begin to take Scripture out of context. For example, you say, well, what's the harm in that? God does have good plans for you, right? Would you agree with that? Everyone's always nervous nowadays. I don't want to raise my hand. Yes, God does have good plans for you, right? What happens whenever I take the importance of God having good plans for the Jews out of the Scriptures? Oh, that's just for all of us. Someone did that before in history. His name was Hitler. The group was the Nazis. And I think that they were in Murfreesboro this week. That was a funny joke. <laughs> that was a good joke. What, they, what he did was he found a way to convince a people group that all the promises of the Old Testament were not for the Jews, that they were fulfilled in Christ for us, Christians. The Jews are on the outside of God's plan for the world. So it's okay for us to treat them this way. Are you seeing what happens the moment we begin to take Scripture out of its context? Do you see the danger in this? All right, let's move on. We've got some more fun to do. And so in Scripture, it's got the meaning, meaning the first layer is what did it mean to them? What is the original meaning? The second layer is what does it mean now in light of knowing that Jesus is the Messiah? The entire Scriptures have a giant arc, and that arc is that, is that God is going to change the world through one person, the Messiah, and that is Jesus. So everything fits into this overarching story. And then the third layer is simple. How does everything in the context of Jesus affect us now? And so Scripture always has multiple layers of meaning. As we move on from that, it's important to understand this too. It's important to understand that there are some examples that are going to kind of mm, prove the point. Do you want some examples of kind of how this stuff works in the Scriptures? Okay. Romans 10.16, New King James Version. So, I'll just read it this way. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed the report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Who has heard this before? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you hear that, what does that come across to you as? My ability to take hold of the things of God is based on how often or how I hear the word of God, the Bible. So if I speak or if I hear the Bible over and over again, my ability to operate in faith is increased. Does that make sense? Okay. See what happens when we change the translation. Let's go to the NIV. Same passage. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed um, our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. What's this passage talking about? This passage is talking about how Israel is going to be judged and whether or not they receive Jesus as Messiah. How's it start? It says, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. What's the good news? That Jesus is Messiah. Lord, who has believed our message? He's quoting Isaiah. Consequently, He's saying, because they've heard this and they haven't believed, he's saying, faith comes from hearing the message, meaning if they did not, if no one told them that Jesus is the Messiah, they're not responsible to be able to respond to that salvation call. Does that make sense? 
He's not concerned with individuals operating in faith. He's concerned with a people group being saved by receiving Jesus as Lord. Are you seeing how this passage can be completely different? Do you see that? And so it goes on, it says, and so faith comes from hearing not the Bible, it's hearing the message. And the message is what? That Jesus is the Messiah. Now, does that mean that the place for us to hear the Scriptures to build our faith is not important? No, it's extremely important. It's just not in this verse. Does that make sense? Actually, the Jews in the ancient church have been using the reciting Scriptures to build faith for thousands of years. That's an extremely Christian thing to do. It just has nothing to do with the verse. How you guys doing? Good morning. What do you think about that? Well, let's go to one more. I've got a few, but I'm not sure if we can handle them all this morning. Here's one more. How about slavery? Who wants to talk about slavery? Okay. I had someone ask me this, uh, one of the guys in the church. He's one of my favorites. He's been reading the Bible now, I think, for the last nine months. He has, uh, like, one month left. He said, you know, in so many days, I will have read the entire Bible. I said, that's awesome, man. He said, so I have a question for you. Where in the Bible does it say we shouldn't have slaves? I thought, which by the way, it's uncanny the great questions people give you when they actually start reading. <laughs> Wait, this doesn't make sense. And he asked, so again, so where does it say in the Bible that we can't have slaves? I said, it depends on how you read it. If you read it like a Hallmark card, it says you can have slaves. even tells you what to do with the slaves and tells the slaves what to do to the masters. Obey. Stay in your position. Stay a slave. There's nowhere in the Scriptures for you to argue with me that on surface level reading in the Bible, that the Bible does not affirm slavery. You've got to go deeper if you want to argue with me about that. But as Christians, we've been some of the first people to speak up the loudest. I'll even say this. African-American Christians have been some of the ones to speak up the loudest to show us in the Scriptures the very message of Jesus is the opposite of this. It is all about liberation and freedom and bringing everyone to one level of quality, of status. And so if you want to read the Bible the way that you do the Hallmark card, I'm sorry, you're going to have some issues. You've got to read the Bible much better than that. You have to give the Bible credit for being complex, having multiple layers of meaning and things that take place. There's no one in the room who would stand up and say, you know what, I believe because the Bible uh, says we just have slaves that we should go back to having slaves. It's in there, though. The same way that, and I'll just say this, there are issues that we are dealing with in the church right now that we talk about sin and status. And you would come to me and make arguments the same way 50 years ago in this state that pastors argued that slavery and racism was okay. I'm not going to even talk about this morning, but there are obvious issues that we struggle with in the church that you would come to me with the same exact readings of Scripture. Well, see, it says right here, it's real obvious. Sin. Well, I'm sorry, if you want to read that way, women, you all have to sit on this side and you're going to be silent. You will not speak in church. The Bible said so. New Testament too, not Old Testament. 
Men, you're going to make sure your beards look perfect and trimmed. If you have a clean-shaven face, you have to leave and you cannot come back until it's grown and you cannot trim the sides. Men, if you have long hair, we're going to cut it before you come in. Women, if you cut your hair, you ain't coming back. But no, you have to be consistent. However you believe the Scriptures are to be read, you must be consistent and take it all the way through. One last one, just to have fun with you guys, which, by the way, I had a really great uh, passage there, uh, I think, in Timothy um, about slavery, but we won't waste time. Um, Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15.29. If you want to read the Bible on the surface level and take it as simple as possible, here's some problems you're going to have. 1 Corinthians 15.29. Otherwise, what are those who are getting baptized for the dead doing? If the dead aren't raised, then why are they being baptized for them? I'm not sure if you caught that. If you want to read the Bible that way, you all have a problem. Have you been baptized for your dead family members yet? How would you react if I said, all right, next Sunday, doing a baptism? Oh, not for you, for your dead relatives. How many of you guys would be like hollering on Facebook, don't go to Grace Church. (laughs) He's a heretic. He don't know the Bible. (laughs) Argue with me. It's right there. You got to read the Bible better. Now, on every one of these things, these are very simple, how you put that, tensions in Scripture that are very easy for us to to explain and and to show us how to understand, but it requires us having training on how to drive. We have to understand how we drive this complex, extremely powerful vehicle that we call the Bible. It takes a little bit of effort and training. Now, the question is this. If all this is true, if the Bible isn't the way I was told it was, then, okay, like, you know, how do we know it's trustworthy? 2 Timothy 3.14 says this. It says, But you must continue with the things that you have learned and found convincing. You know who taught you. Since childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures that helped you to be wise in the way that leads to salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, the Scriptures you're talking about, of course, is the Old Testament Scriptures. Every Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character, so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. Here's the thing that we have to hold on to. We still have to understand that the Bible can be complex and It can be even mysterious and frustrating, but it can still be inspired and breathed by God. We have to learn to hold these things in tension. So how do we read the Bible? How do we, okay, how do we understand it has value? Here's a few things that, you know, if you're kind of getting bothered about the Bible, I want to encourage you with this. Here's the reason that the Bible still has value to us. Here's the first reason. The reason there's tension in the Scriptures is because the church fathers who created the Bible, they wanted to show the diversity of ideas, meaning that different groups of Christians didn't agree with other groups of Christians, and it was important for us to know that, that it's okay to have different ideas about God underneath the covering of Christ as Messiah. The Scriptures specifically have texts that are different. You have four different Gospels that, that each have very different accounts of Jesus on purpose, because the, the, the church needed us to know, to be handed down through generation, that we would know that one of the foundations of being a Christian is being able to accept the disagreements that come with being different. Does that make any sense to you? 
This is a beautiful thing about our Scriptures. We have to understand this. It has value because it has survived thousands of years of arguments and debate. Christians have one really famous thing that they do. They fight with each other. Have you seen how many churches we got in here? This tiny little town, okay? There's, there's, there's more churches than grocery stores, more churches than, than, you know, places to eat, which I wish that would change. That would be really good. Uh, there's, there's more churches than, than gas stations, than parks. There's more churches than any other thing in this little town. Have you noticed? Why? Because we fight and disagree all the time. But something has survived. These Scriptures. That's valuable. And here's the last thing. We value the Scriptures because the Scriptures have been the most scrutinized text in all of history. There has been no document that has had more, uh, how you put that, more scholars and academics, historians, theologians, scientists begin to tear it apart than this Bible, than this text, than this compilation of books. And it is, is the one book that has been studied and, and tested more than anything else in all of history. You understand that. It's a valuable thing. So let's end on this. So if the Bible is so complicated, what do I do? Has anyone felt a little bit overwhelmed just a little bit? If the Bible is so complex, so sh- like, should I even try? <laughs> Here we go. Now, with my... Uh, New Testament teacher, he tells me this. He says, he's been asked a lot, okay, so what's the best translation? Have you guys ever wondered that? What's the best translation? What's the closest to the original language? Have you ever wondered that? He says, read the Greek. All right, that's it. Go home. If you can't read the Greek, here's what we do. We use multiple translations. So, Here's what I encourage you to do. I encourage you to find three different types. I'll explain to you. Here's the first one. The first one is a literal translation, meaning the goal for translating was word for word. Word for word. Imagine with Spanish, you're trying to get the closest English word to match the Spanish word. So when you're translating a sentence, that's what you're doing. You're trying to get the exact words to match, okay? The reason that those are important is sometimes those can show something in the Scripture. It's very crucial. The problem with these translations, if you only read, say, the NASB, okay? The problem with that translation is that sometimes word for words don't communicate the idea. Does that make sense? And so, like, you get the words, but you're like, what? Uh, cat, dog, ladder, sky, fall, what? I have no idea what's happening here, okay? <laughs> it's raining cats and dogs. Does that make sense? Okay, so like, that's the idea, but word for word, you're like, I have no idea what it's saying. So, what you need is something called the dynamic translation, which means it's a, it's a balance between trying to get the words right, but it's also important to get the idea right. It wants you to understand. He's saying it's raining cats and dogs, not cat, dog, rain, like. Okay, that was good. And so uh, <laughs> when it comes to translation for thought for thought, the NIV is great. Uh, the CEB, which is the one I use um, all the time, is great. NRSV is great, okay? I would encourage you to use this translation, the dynamic one, as the one that you read most of the time, okay? And so what you're going to do is when you hit a passage that doesn't make sense, what you're going to do is you're going to pull out the NASB or something like that, and then you're going to pull out this. 
a paraphrased Bible, meaning it's not concerned at all with word for word. It's only concerned with getting you the idea, what's trying to be communicated. Um, imagine this. Do you guys have like a coworker or a friend who just kind of knows you really well and you trust? And so like if you can't go to the meeting or you couldn't be at the place, you ask them, hey, so what happened? So what do I need to know? And they kind of cut through all the details. They kind of give you the meat of what you need to know. Do you have that person? Okay. You guys need to find some friends. Okay. Uh, when you have that, okay, the message Bible is that. It's not concerned with the word for word. It wants you to understand what it's trying to say. Get the concept. What's, what's happening? What is Paul trying to communicate? What is Jesus really after when he says the fig tree? He does, basically, these translations are going to do all the hard theological work, the history, the context, the, 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 the language. It's going to do all that for you and just give you what it means. And so when you, when you read a passage and you are able to go to all three of those forms, it fills in all the blanks. So if you don't want to learn Greek do this. Sound good? Here's the last thing. As we go with the Scriptures, here's what I encourage you to do. Use multiple translations. Read the Bible in context. Here's what it means. When you read a passage, read the, pas- the, the paragraph before and the paragraph after. Is that easy? If you would just do that, who cares about translations, Greek? Forget all that. If you would just read the paragraph before and the paragraph after, you might be able to preach up here with me. That's pretty much all I do. That's the key to everything. Just read the context. What's, what's really going on, okay? <clears throat> and uh, here's the last thing. Learn to study in community, okay? It is a difficult thing for us to read the Bible and study it on our own. There's something powerful about doing it in a group because everyone has different experiences. You think differently. You have different personalities, different um, backgrounds. You approach the text from a very different perspective. And so when you begin to study God and the Scriptures in a group, it's a safe place to say, okay, well, I read this. Here's what I'm hearing. What are you hearing? What are you hearing? What are you hearing? And in this place, this is the best place to kind of wrestle through what's happening in the Scriptures. If you feel overwhelmed as an individual, you should. We're not supposed to study just on our own. That's valuable to read and to grow in that, but we need to have safe places of community in the church where we learn to study God's Word together. Amen? And here's that last thing I want to leave you with. Just learn to take the Bible seriously. Really. The thing that gets me the most frustrated with the way that we've been taught to approach the Scriptures, we just try to whittle the Bible down to nothing. It's just a Hallmark card. It's just a manual. It's just, you know, it's, it's a map. It's just real simple. All you got to do is do this. No, you're missing so much of the beauty and the depth of what God has for you in the Scriptures. Would you stand with me? Here in January, we're going to start some, some Bible study groups. What we're going to do, it's a new app that's out, and I don't, I don't want to quite share with you yet. I don't want you to start on your own. We're going to start some Bible study groups, and, and there's this brand new app out. And basically what it does, it takes you through each book, and it gives you these, like, these uh, cartoon videos before the chapter. I saw these videos and got so angry. It's like, why did I spend years and thousands of dollars getting educated? All I needed was these cartoons. Like, these cartoons explain everything that you need to know about the book, about, I mean, everything. So what we're going to do, we're going to start some, some Bible study groups of just people who are, have always wanted to read the Bible. It's been overwhelming. You don't want to do it on your own. And so we're going to do it based around these, these apps. And so it's not just a reading plan. 
It's a reading plan that also gives you these videos that, that breaks down all the hard, complex junk and makes it very simple. So we're going to start that in January if that's something you're curious about. Father, we just come to you this morning and we ask that um, we ask for grace that we would be able uh, I don't know, just to, to not be overwhelmed with how complex and how multifaceted your word is, but that we would find ourselves willing to invest the humility and the energy and the time that it takes to really begin to find the value and the worth in the scriptures. We thank you that we have a, we have a Bible that's not boring, or simple, or plain, or ordinary. We thank you that there's so much to encounter you in it. Guys, really, I just, before we close, I just, I just want to make sure you understand. I really hit it hard. I know that. Um, I don't want you to feel overwhelmed. The, the, the point of this is not to leave you feeling, gosh, I could never. The point of, of this is to teach you there's so much more you haven't even tapped into. And it's not beyond you. Small, simple steps. Just like you know, choosing to read in, in three different translations when you find something that's weird or off. Go, I don't know if that makes any sense. What's the message Bible say? Finding people you can trust to talk to as you go through the scripture. Hey, so what's this mean to you? There's so much more for you to encounter with God. And it is not a place where you just need to lean on the pastors here or teachers. or It's not that. There's so much that you need to get in into an encounter. So Father, again, we just ask Lord, that that would be the takeaway this morning, that we wouldn't be overwhelmed. But I thank you, Lord, uh, that you just give us the grace to find that balance. In Jesus' name. And Father, we just come to you. We just we lay everything aside. We ask Holy Spirit that you'd search our hearts and minds. If there's anything this morning that we need you for, we ask that we'd be humble enough to come forward and ask Jesus' name.